Our uh, passage today, the, the little segment of this uh, letter that we heard from, um, includes what is, is um, often cited by people as, as an example of what Christianity, you know, how to sum up Christianity, or, or even this is what God wants you to do. So people will, will read this, um, this verse, verse 9. It says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So people will often say that's what Christianity is all about. That's how, um, that's how you are saved. And so you need to do those things. So, so that's often, um, the way people describe, uh, this verse or how they use this verse in that kind of conversation. And, um, and, uh, that's what I want to talk about today, uh, because if that is what this verse is all about, is, you know, this is how you get saved, then it raises the question, saved from what? And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. What is it that we're saved from? We are, um, as as you know, if you've been here, uh, we've been for quite a while now in this long conversation, uh, drawn from the the what's called the Book of Romans. It's actually a letter, as I mentioned. So it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote about 55 A.D. and he wrote it from wherever he was then to a um, community of Christians that was worshiping in. Rome. So it's called the letter to the Romans. And uh, we've been looking at it now for quite some time. And uh, we can be, I, I think, because we have been looking at it for so long, I think it's easy to, to excuse um, if we don't remember that Paul has told us the answer, what we are saved from. He's told us the answer way back in chapter 5. So it's been a while, but he did say what we're saved from. He said that we are, um, that, uh, he said that we are saved. And back in chapter five, he said, he said, um, since we have been made righteous by his blood, Jesus's blood, we can be even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. So, so we will be saved from God's wrath. So it's been quite a while since, uh, Paul talked about wrath, but now he's finally, um, uh, mentioning it again. So we've been saved from the wrath of God. So so um, that is that is the answer or it's part of the answer. Paul says we are saved from the wrath of God and he goes on in um, or I, I should say that that part of chapter 5 is really concluding what he was talking about in the first part of the letter where he where he said that that was the purpose of the of um, the gospel. It was what Jesus did. He said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power for salvation." To all who have faith in God, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, and he uh, uh, he says God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodly behavior and the injustice of human beings who silence the truth with injustice. Paul is 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 uh, saying that God cannot ignore wrongdoing. That that when we hurt other people, when we do things that are wrong, that has that has a cost, and so God pours out His wrath on wrongdoing. So that's what He's. He's saying that we need to be saved from because because God will in in God's time um, execute His wrath on the wrongdoing. So that's what the salvation is about. And because that is such an important idea, um, many traditions have made this a uh, uh, essentially a confessional statement. You literally must um, confess with your mouth and believe in your hearts that Jesus is Lord. So um, sometimes people talk about something called the Romans Road, where where there's this uh, a path that you go through the, the book of Romans, and this is one of the steps on it, because it is seen as so important that that 
the the wrath of God is something we're saved from. And yet, and yet, I find it puzzling. This is this is kind of a very basic. Everybody, everybody who's who's done any study of the the Book of Romans, if you're a Bible student, you know you you go to your Bible study class. If they're talking about Romans, they will probably talk about this statement in verse nine. So, um, so there it is. But at the same time, it's really puzzling because Paul has not talked about wrath and salvation for five chapters. And if that's really what this letter is all about, then why hasn't he mentioned it more often? Why has it been such a small part of what he's been talking about? And in fact, if you just do a count, if you just go through the book and do a count of the times Paul uses the words save or wrath and compare that to what we've been hearing about the last couple of weeks where Paul talks about being set right with God. So if we just do a count, we find out that for every time Paul talks about wrath or um, salvation, he talks about uh, being set right with God about five or six times as often. And the same thing, he talks about faith about five or six times as often as he talks about salvation and wrath. So it's kind of puzzling how how big this verse 9 looms in in the, the conventional understanding of the book of Romans, given the fact that it's such a small part of what Paul actually says. Now, I'm not disputing what, what it does say. It does say that this is how you are saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, um, uh, that, that, that you will be saved. I'm not disputing that, and I believe that that's what, what Paul means, but it, it does puzzle me. And, and I don't know, maybe it puzzles you. Why then, if this is really what Paul is getting at, why does he talk so much about being set right with God and about about faith as the the way by which we are set faith set right with God. So it's just kind of a puzzling thing to me and that's what I want to talk about today is is what what are we saved from because I think Paul has other things in mind about being saved uh than than just um than just <laughs> the wrath of God. And the reason for that I think is because the wrath of God happens on the day of judgment, that that it is something that um, has been poured out on Jesus on the cross, that the sin that clung to Jesus on the cross, God has poured out his wrath on that, and he will pour out his wrath on whatever sin remains in the world when um, the day of judgment comes. But we don't know when that is. And because God longs to bless his children, God saves us from other things in a more immediate way, that yes, we're saved from that someday wrath eventually. But there are ways we are saved right now. And I think that's what Paul wants us to understand in this letter where he talks so much about being set right with God. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, for example, you remember that the way that Jesus um, dealt with sin, the way that Jesus um, uh, uh, set us right with God had a side effect because Jesus, Jesus um, set us right with God through his death and then ultimately his resurrection. And we looked at that, but Paul said that there's a side effect of that, which is that it set us free from sin. That in the same way that God delivered the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt, so that Pharaoh was not the boss of them anymore, in the same way we've been set free from sin because of what Jesus has done. That that's kind of a side effect of that saving thing that Jesus has done that we have been set free, not from Egypt, but from, from Sin City, from, from the, 
the realm in which sin has the authority to order us around. Now, we also saw last week that uh, that sin doesn't stop trying to order us around, and sometimes we still obey the orders of sin. But we saw last week that God has provided His Holy Spirit to us, who lives in us and helps us to perceive sin's lies and to turn away from them. So um, those are immediate benefits that we don't have to wait until Judgment Day to to receive. And in the same way, Paul is aware there are other benefits as well. So that's what I want to talk about today is some of the other things that we are saved from, things that we have more immediate consequences than um, than that eternal salvation. So if you... Uh, if you uh, get the, the scriptures in front of you, we're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 10. So Paul says, what does it say? What does it say? Well, it is um, what he's what he's been um, dealing with in this chapter. He's been quoting from the Hebrew scriptures. He's been trying to show that, that God is faithful because God hasn't just suddenly changed everything. God didn't. God didn't make up, you know, a plan B. It's like plan A wasn't working. I'm going to scrap that and I'm going to come up with a plan A. He's been illustrating from the Hebrew scriptures that this has been God's plan all along. And so he's been uh, citing different places in the Hebrew scriptures where he can say, see, this is, this is the meaning of that verse. So he says, he says this particular verse he's looking at is from Deuteronomy 30. And he says, what does it, that verse say? It says, the message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. He says that that God has come near. That that God is not remote and inaccessible. God is not only available to some select group of you know super adept, highly spiritual people. That God is available to all of us because Jesus has brought Him near. That God is in heaven, and without without God's intervention, you know, good luck figuring out anything about God. But because Jesus has brought Him near, we can actually know something about God. So. Um, so our second point, I realized I didn't mention the first one. First one was the wrath of God. Our second point is that we have been saved from not knowing God's character and purpose. That, that, uh, because Jesus has brought God near to us, we can know, um, what God's character and purpose is. And, and what I mean by that is we can understand more about God. We can understand uh, about the love of God and, uh, the mercy and grace of, of God. But we can also understand, uh, G- Jesus presents God to us so we can see that. But Jesus also represents what humanities should be according to God's original intention. So God show, so, so in coming near to us, Jesus not only shows us what God is like, but he shows us what we are made to be like. And he shows us what we can become and what ultimately we will become, um, in the age to come when, when, uh, God renews all of creation and God restores us to his original purposes for us to be his his image bearers and to reflect his goodness into the good creation that he has renewed so so uh, we are saved from having to guess or having to uh you know just wonder forever what is god like what is god like and and you know what am i you know what what am i here for what what is what is my um what is my ultimate destination? So we are saved from ignorance. We're saved from not knowing what um, God is doing and what God is like. So that's one thing we're saved from. And then that brings us to this famous verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So... Um, 
that is, as I mentioned, so so famous in in uh, interpretation of of the Book of Romans that this is sometimes condensed down into a formula that you must actually recite this exact phrase: "Jesus is Lord." Otherwise, you are not saved, um, because because people are very quick to to uh, turn uh, uh, anything in Scripture into a rule. Because ultimately, we all love rules. We, we don't like rules. We don't like obeying rules. But we like the idea that I've got this nailed down. And, and I'm not dealing with a person. I'm dealing with a system. I'm dealing with a set of rules. And if I say this particular thing, then I will be saved. Um, and, you know, because, because of my background in engineering, I always struggle with that, right? I mean, because I, I want to make the rule too. I want to know exactly what the specs are. I want to know, you know, what, where it, where it bends and where it breaks. And so I look at something like this and I say, well, do you have to say it in English? Jesus is Lord in English? Do you have to say it in, you know, Greek or Aramaic or whatever language Paul was thinking in? You know, I, I start wondering, well, wait, what, what exactly do I have to do here? Um, you know, how 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 precisely do I say confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? And that's because I think we all um, are are at at our root we are we are um, uh, well we're rule breakers but we're also rule followers. We want a rule to tell us what to do. But Paul goes on and he he expands on this idea in verse ten and gives it more more um, of an explanation. He says one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. And and what he means there is that if you believe something, if if you if something is a core belief to you, you will not be able to resist um, having it come out. You'll be expressing that. You know, as a, as a trivial example, if you think your cat is incredibly charming, you will post pictures of your cat on social media. Why? Because those 4 billion people out there on social media need to know how charming your cat is, right? Because it's something you have a core belief that my cat is charming or my dinner looks amazing, right? Whatever it is people post on social media, it just comes out naturally. The things we believe, we want to express. And so Paul is saying, if this is, if this is what you believe in your heart, you will express it. It will come out in, in the way you live your life and the things you say to other people. So he says, he says, if this is what you believe, I think that's what Paul is saying more than this particular formula, Jesus is Lord, um, that you, you must say exactly those words in Greek or whatever they were. So, so, um, so we are, we are, um, because, because Paul has, has given us this, he's told us, don't, don't try and make up a set of rules. He's saying, just believe. Believe that God um, is who he said he is, and God can do the things he promised to do. That that in Jesus Christ, God has already taken care of this. If you just do that and quit trying to do it yourself, then you're you're saved. That's that's all it takes. So um, we are saved from our own wasted effort and empty rituals. So if we think that we have to say a particular prayer or, you know, Go to a particular place. If we have to go on pilgrimage or, or, uh, uh, climb up some, some mound of good deeds that we've, we've accumulated. If we've got to, to climb up a, a, uh, a hill of our own making, Paul is saying, no, no, just believe and let that flow out in your life. So, um, we are saved from wasted effort. And that also means we're saved from the sense of futility. If, if, 
if it were about uh, creating a mound of good deeds, that we had to do these particular things, say the particular statement, if there were things we had to do, we had to achieve in order to be saved, then one of the one of the real dangers is you may get to the point in your life, depending on what your history is, and say, uh, it's too late for me. There's no way I can do it. You know, I've, I've dug a hole with my life, and far from you know, getting a great big mound of, of wonderful things that I've accomplished, I've got a hole. And so there's the temptation to futility. But Paul could tell you, no, he was the, the chief of sinners. He persecuted God's church. That it's not about um, counting up and, you know, balancing out the good and the bad or anything else. He says it's all about trusting God. It's believing that God has done this. So we we don't have to worry about wasted effort or empty ritual, and we don't have to worry about can I do enough at this point based on where I'm at in my life. So he says, um, he goes on in verse 11, he says, For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, partly what that means is your efforts will not be futile. That, that you're not going to, you're not going to say, I almost got there. I got 90% of what I needed. So he, he means that in, in that sense, um, it's not about that, that we are saved from, from, um, that kind of wasted effort. But he also means that you qualify, that, that, that you qualify for, um, this offer. When my kids were, were, uh, going into college, there was always that conversation about what school do you really want to go to? Um, you know, and that would be your, your first choice and maybe your second choice. Those are the schools you really wanted. But then you had the safe college choice. You had the one you knew for sure you could get into and that was your backup. So, so you would say, okay, well, I've, I've got that, that safe choice because I'm afraid I will get turned down by my first choice. That, that what if the admissions office looks at my application and says, <laughs> not you, not a chance. How humiliating that is to be turned down, to be told, no, you don't qualify. So one of the things Paul says we are saved from because we are, because because anyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. No, none of us who put our trust in Jesus will have that situation where God looks at us and says, no, you need to go to your backup school because you know we're Harvard and we don't let you in because you just don't qualify. God will never do that. God will not say you don't qualify. Everybody qualifies. Paul says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who calls on him. For everyone, everyone who calls on him will be saved. Nobody is going to have that that uh, uh, embarrassing moment where everybody looks at him. Can you believe that idiot thought that he could he could get in somehow? You know he's not he's not Harvard material. He's not the kind of person for for God. Paul says, "Oh yes, you are." God has already promised in His Scriptures. He says, "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." So. We are saved from humiliation and disappointment. Number four, we're saved from humiliation and disappointment. So, Paul has described this this um, idea of how you're saved. You're saved by believing in your heart and then expressing it in the things you say and the way you act. That you that's how you're saved. But then he he kind of turns the corner. He says. He says, how then can they do that if they have not believed in him? And how can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? 
And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, another another citation from the Hebrew Scriptures, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul says, there are people who don't know this, and they, they, they think that they've got to accumulate that mound of good deeds, or they think that, that there's no point in trying because they're not cut out for it. They're not the right kind of people to get in. So he's, he said, they need to know that. Everybody deserves a chance to hear that God wants to admit them into the, the company of the saved, into the family of the children of God. Now, uh, oftentimes people will say, well, what Paul is doing is he's prepping them for something he's going to say later in the letter. Because later in the letter, Paul says, I want your support. That he's saying, how can, how can people do this good thing unless somebody goes to them and preaches to them? And I know somebody who could do that, right? And in, in chapter 15, he says, I'll visit you when I go to Spain. So Paul has done, he spent most of his, his, um, uh, time as an evangelist the last, uh, decade or so. Paul spends in the eastern part of the Roman, the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And then his plan is to go to Italy and then ultimately to Spain. So Paul is, is thinking he wants to go, go, um, to the west and he's hoping the Romans will support him. He says, I hope you will send me on my way there after I've been first uh, re-energized by some time in your company. So Paul, uh, maybe what Paul is saying is, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches? And how can they be preached to unless somebody sends them? So Paul, it may be doing that. Maybe that's what Paul's getting at. Whether or not that's what he's doing in this verse, he's saying that everybody has a role. He's saying that whether you are the one who's preaching or you're the one who's sending, um, if you're even just the one who's listening and, and mulling it over, that you have a role in what God is doing. That that because because we are included in the work that God is doing, instead of instead of writing letters in the sky or um, you know sending angels to confront every individual, God sends His church. He gives the church an opportunity to be part of the thing that God is doing. So we are saved from irrelevance and insignificance. Everybody has a role. Everybody has been given a vocation. And not just the eloquent speakers like Paul. You know, there were, there were probably slaves in some, you know, miserable situation in Rome who got a chance to support Paul's mission to Spain. Everybody has a role in the work that God is doing. So, um, none of us are irrelevant. Nobody you will ever meet who has been um, who, who has put their faith in Jesus is irrelevant. However, however much of a minor character they may appear to the world, they can be confident that they have a role in the magnificent thing that God is doing. They're not irrelevant. They might not be noticed, but they're not irrelevant. And because that work continues when we're gone, it's not insignificant. It has eternal significance. So God has saved us from from irrelevance and from insignificance because we are included in the great commission that Jesus gave his church. And that applies to everyone. There's no there's no disqualifications. You know, there's nothing about your education level, your sex, your your level of success in in putting into practice the things that Jesus teaches or the 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 whole full of um, failures that you've accumulated in your inability to put into practice what Jesus teaches. That everyone has a role in 
the work that God is doing. So, Paul says here, you will be saved. You will be saved from the wrath of God. But so much of what Paul says in the letter to the Romans is about the immediate benefits of being set right with God because God loves his children and longs to pour out blessings on them. So yes, someday in God's time, we will be saved from judgment at the end of the age. But in the meantime, God offers so many things that we are saved from because of the work of his son, Jesus. We're saved from irrelevance. We're saved from disappointment and humiliation. We're saved from from having to guess what God is like. We have immediate benefits. We are saved not just from wrath, but from all these other concerns. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that um, we don't have to wait until Judgment Day to be blessed by you, that you pour out blessing on your children. We ask you, Lord, to help us to lean into these blessings, to to busy ourselves with the great thing that you are doing and you invite us into, to give us courage to step up to whatever challenges you put before us, knowing that we will not be disappointed. Help us to remember that everything that we are counting on comes not from our own efforts, but from your faithfulness. And help us always to look to Jesus so we may know your faithfulness and you and, and have a view of what you are calling us to become. We pray these things in his name. Amen.